Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. And what's up, what's up? Welcome in. GC Live, Wes Mitchell here. He is GC Chris Clark in the house and ready for... Dude, Chris, we have a jam-packed slam show today. I don't even know if we have time to get to everything. Um, so before we get, we start trying to get to everything, got to tell everybody real quick, our good friend, our dude, Clint Hammond, by the way, named, um, I didn't know they had mortgage awards, but they do, named uh, one of the top producers in the entire country this past year as far as mortgage originations. Uh, give Clint a shout, 803-771-6933, clinthammond.com. If you're in the market for a new home, or if you just want to refinance, save some money, then spend your extra, you're going to save like hundreds of dollars, spend $10 of it on Gamecock Central. We'd love for you to do that, but definitely Clint will save you some money. Give him a shout, 803-771-6933, clinthammond.com. This is one of those days, Chris, where I almost actually need show notes. Every now and then, we actually plan a show. No. This one, not completely planned, somewhat planned, though. But, dude, you got uh, decision day for Braden Davis, which we're going to talk about that a bit. We, of course, record the show live at about 2 o'clock every day. So depending on when you're listening to this on the podcast, if you listen to it, maybe it's already Saturday, Sunday. This may be outdated by then, but we're going to tell you what we know leading into his Instagram Live announcement, which will be at 6 o'clock on Friday night. We do already know J.C. Horn, top 10 pick, Carolina Panthers, number eight overall pick. Um, Maybe a little bit earlier than people thought he was going to go, but certainly in the range. I think this is the early part of the range that that people saw uh, Horn possibly going. Panthers, go ahead, scoop him up. Not only the first DB taken, but the first overall defensive guy taken in the draft. So South Carolina continues that trend of having first-round draft picks. We'll talk about that a bit. Uh, Don Staley, just an absolute star on the recruiting trail. Um, We're going to talk about that, what that means, and some big-picture stuff there. I have some thoughts. South Carolina baseball, it seems like every single week, Chris, use the same headline, premier SEC battle, another top 25 matchup. On the road, I've been to Ole Miss's baseball stadium before, y'all. One of the coolest atmospheres in the entire country. Tough atmosphere, too. So we'll talk about that. Colin Taylor going to join us in about 25 minutes. And I'm sure I even forgot something because I should have written it down. But, Chris, uh, we got a ton of stuff to get to, man. 
It's, it's packed, man. It is packed. I, I'm impressed you got to, and you're right, we're probably forgetting something. I'm impressed you got to all that. I would have forgotten something, especially with the fog, the post-stomach virus fog that my brain is still in right now. But, yeah, it was it was cool stuff, man. Where are we going to start? Jesse? Well, are you so- you know, I, that, that's when I, when I was doing the headlines, I was like, I don't know what's the, you know, we're generally a recruiting-oriented website. Yeah. It's always big when when you might land your quarterback for the class. Um, but if you have a top ten pick, I mean, uh, unless I'm mistaken, I believe Steve Fink said this is the highest uh, pick for a South Carolina player since Jadavian Clowney went number one overall to the Texans. So that's always a big deal. Um, not not to even mention the fact the rest of the draft continues tonight and into Saturday, where we expect what do we say four. Um, Additional Gamecocks to potentially get drafted, I believe, is sort of the uh, the number that is most likely. You never know. A guy may slip back and fall into that like undrafted free agent range, or a team may just take a chance on a guy. You never know. But I think that's the number I've sort of circled in, in my brain. So um, I don't know, man. You take it away. Where do you want to start? Yeah, let, let, let's just start with J.C. Horn since we started going there. And, you know, I, like everyone else, I was watching the draft just – I love watching the draft every year regardless. Um, but knowing that there was going to be a Gamecock in the first round, um, which is full expectation, I think that was, uh, you know, another reason to tune in and, and watch even more closely. And so we, we sort of knew going in, J.C. Horn, I mean, he put a lot of great stuff on tape during his college career. Then he had his pro day, and a pro day that, uh, as Nectarius pointed out, the GM of the Panthers in town for that pro day, Matt Rule in town. He showed up on a lot of Gamecock social media stuff after that, just talking about Marcus Satterfield, talking about Shane Beamer, talking about the things at South Carolina. But obviously, a lot of close attention paid there. Matt Rule last year with the Panthers, their emphasis was on defense in the draft. And they came out swinging this year with the defensive pick first time. It, it was it was sort of this thing of, are they going to take Justin Fields, quarterback, or are they going defense? And I was actually watching the NFL Network version Wes and Ian Rappaport came on right before the Panthers pick and said, this is either going to be Fields or J.C. Horn. I was like, wow, okay. Because it was, it's been this battle between Horn and Patrick Sertain of Alabama, who I think went directly after Horn, right, the very next pick. Um, and those two were sort of one and two, and it depended on, you know, which team may prefer which. J.C., after his pro day, rose to where maybe he was number two before, but then he he ascended to where on some teams' draft boards he was number one. So really good stuff for him. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this, Wes. You know, you said this on, I think, uh, Wednesday's show, and I can't remember who we were talking about, but there, there's not many guys that you look at out of high school that you can say, unless that guy gets hurt or something goes really awry, this guy's going to be a pro for a long time. And and even more so, it's hard to look at a guy and say that guy is probably going to be a first round pick. J.C. Horn is one of those guys that I'm going to be quite honest. I did think that, and there's been you know I've missed a lot of evaluations over the years. Maybe some you get right, maybe some you're about fifty fifty. But for my money, J.C. is one of the best defensive backs I've scouted to where I go. That guy's going to be a pro. He's he's special. I, I remember the other one I thought of was Jalen Ramsey. I saw Jalen Ramsey, I think, at a, a rival's camp in 2013, 2014, something like that, and you could just tell. And so uh, 
he, he did a great job, developed pro mindset. So really cool to see him go to the Panthers. Wes, we followed the Panthers, so pretty cool for us seeing a guy we covered in college now going to NFL team that we, we watch most weekends. Yeah, and, man, I, I think um, that the thing about J.C. That I, that I also love about J.C. is that he's really never changed. Like, he has been the same guy, um, you know, since, since basically high school. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I think both from a professional standpoint, like, this is a guy, you know, when kids get on campus, we start to hear – Hey, watch out for this guy. Watch out for that guy. This guy has excelled. Uh, all you heard about JC from the moment he stepped on campus was that he arrived with a professional mindset. And, you know, I, I think that continued throughout. And, and and the guys know. I mean, and when I say the guys, I mean the, his teammates. They see who's putting in the work. They see who arrives with this mindset of, oh, I'm like bigger than the program. They see who thinks they can just get by on being a four-star, five-star type guy. And they see, you know, I, I think JC is one of those kids that approached it like, I'm, yes, I'm going to college, but these three years are, you know, it's a, it's a tryout for, for the NFL. And he had a goal. He knew what it was going to take to get to it. He has the NFL bloodlines. And you know what, man, these, these, I'll call them NFL kids, the kids who have grown up around it, they, they know what it means to put in enough work to get by versus to approach it like an actual job. And, you know, and that's not to say JC Horn doesn't love football because I I think he does, but he also, the way he approaches it is a, it's almost like a formulaic way of saying, I know this is the path to get here. And he's done that from the very beginning. And as someone who had an absolutely awful GPA, my first semester of college, who was just going for the college aspect, I respect that immensely that somebody could go and just be like, boom, 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 mature beyond his years, but has really not changed as a person in my experience. This is a kid that when he he got the All-SEC, one of the freshman All-SEC awards, he was just laying in the back seat of his car because he had no need for this silly, you know, award, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm going out to try to be better. Um, I did. I bumped into JC one time uh, when he was like a sophomore and uh, he, you know, remembered me from recruiting interviews, said, what's up? How you been? Um, I reached out to him on draft day just to say, hey, good luck tonight, man. Responds immediately, you know, thanks, man. Appreciate you. Like, the, the fact that a lot of guys get the attention he gets, and it's very hard not to change who you are when that happens. But JC has sort of stayed true to who he is um, through this entire process. And there's something to be said for that, I think. And there's something to be said for a guy who now will go get all this NFL money, get all this NFL fame, and if you are the Panthers or whatever team happened to be drafting him, in this case, the Panthers, Chris, you're not worried, oh, I'm going to give this guy this paycheck and I have to worry about him sort of just, you know, forgetting who he is. He's yeah. going to stay the same. I think there is immense value in that part, that aspect of this as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a very driven guy, um, and he's someone that's going to, 
he's really motivated by being the best, right? I mean, leading up to the draft, JC would say a lot of things, retweet a lot of things on social media, whatever it may have been about him being cornerback one, right? And that's what ended up happening. He's the first defensive player taken, the first cornerback taken. So he's not going to be satisfied with, you know, obviously his dream was to be a first-round pick. If you're, a, if you're a player, you want to be the first player at your position taken in the NFL if you have that type of mindset, which he has. And so he accomplished that. But now he's going to be, all right, I want to go be rookie of the year. I and then it's going to be, all right, now I want to go get a big contract after my rookie contract. I want to go be the best corner in the league. Like that's the kind of mindset he carries. And when you have the natural ability that he does, and look, he's got a ton of it. I mean, you, you don't you're not that good without a ton of natural ability, but he's taken that plus his work ethic and just his mindset and harnessed it into being, you know, what what he's become. So great stuff from JC. I think that's a really good fit organizationally for him with just sort of Matt Rule's mindset as a coach. You can tell that's gonna be, it seems like a pretty good match. Gamecock Russ Russ bringing up the seatbelt, uh, the little thing that JC does. Um supposedly he started that. Is that true? I'm I'm not the older you get, the more you can't follow all this crap. But um supposedly JC was one of the ones who at least started to make that famous, the seatbelt yeah. thing after locking a guy down. I don't know if you noticed, Chris. There there's a kid doing that at the Rivals camp on Sunday. So oh, yeah. that stuff carries down. Um and if you're South Carolina, all you know, obviously it's a completely different staff, but you're gonna continue to point out. Hey, we've had first rounders every every year. Hey, we've had uh, defensive backs go in the draft. You know, the last twenty years, as as many as about anybody. So, if you're South Carolina, you're constantly pointing that out. I think um, J.C. Horn, just another. That's what two of the last three years. Uh, no, the last two years in a row, and three of the last four years that South Carolina has had a first round draft pick. So. Um, now, if if you're the Gamecocks, I do see this thing. By the way, let's let's get into the the rest of the draft here for a moment while we're on this. But I see this thing sometimes on Twitter, and it's like people say, "Well, another first round draft pick. You won two games last year. Um, valid." But here's the thing: the teams you play, they're pushing out draft picks too, man. Like, did you see how many guys from Alabama got picked yesterday? The the SEC had six kids drafted in the first round for the second straight year. It had never happened before. Now it's happened two years in a row. So, yeah, having one big-time draft pick each year it is good. Like, yeah, it's yeah. cool. But it takes more. You know, so like I, I don't think, oh, you had some draft picks. That means you wasted them. I, I don't see it that way. I see it like, well, if you really started counting, everybody in your league is having draft picks for the most part, um, unless you're talking about the absolute bottom of the barrel. So to get to that level, you don't just need a Javon Kinlaw. You don't just need a J.C. Horn. You don't just need a, a, a Hayden Hurst. You need multiple guys being picked um, and high in the draft, in my yeah. opinion. But I don't take the sign that you've had a bunch of first-round picks to mean you're like a loaded team compared to who you're facing in conference every single year. 
Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that that's the thing. You, you've got to look at – and look, this South Carolina team is – what are we saying? That they might have five picks overall. Now, some of them are going to be much later if it, if it ends up happening. Some of them may be mid-round, whatever it may be, one first-round pick. But you're right. I mean, there, there are examples in the past, and I cannot come up with the team or the players, but I remember several years ago there was some team that randomly had like – I don't know, three or four picks like in the first round or the first two rounds, and, and they were a bad football team, but they had several. So I think this is how you look at it. I answered a question about this the other day about recruiting and Muschamp versus Beamer and things like that, and, and I said, look, we can't judge Shane Beamer's recruiting classes at South Carolina yet. He had one COVID short-notice class. We, we don't have a clue yet. In three or four years, we can go back and look at that, really. But – Will Muschamp recruited some talent to this team. Like J.C. Horn was an NFL guy, obviously. Like there's going to be more guys that roll off this roster later. J.J. Anigbari, for example. But what South Carolina has to do to take that next step is get guys like that, right? But then, like you said, they've got to fill out the the next half of the roster, the back half of the roster, to where you know a team like Alabama West that you mentioned, they're great at the top, but their 85th guy is better than a lot of guys. 22nd, you know, and so that depth, um, having a higher hit rate, you know, on the, on the back half of your roster, not having as many holes, like these are the types of things you have to hit in recruiting. And with that, it's going to come, you know, more draft picks sprinkled throughout, but yeah, you need, you need really good guys up top and then you need the rest of it as well. So, uh, as this thing continues, I, I believe, what seven o'clock tonight is yep. when the draft continues then noon on Saturday for a, a long day on Saturday. But uh, Chris, where, where are we at right now in your opinion, as far as shy Smith, Ernest Jones, Darius Hutchinson, um, Izzy Mukwamu. I mean, those are the four. I think we all have our eyes on um, in anything new there. Or what are you, what are you thinking as far as those guys? Um, it, what, what's the chances of them hearing their names uh, tonight? Yeah, I, I think probably the, the two guys that would probably be the safest bets, and I'm not even saying we will hear them tonight, but it seems like Ernest Jones, you know, after pro day, he put up some good numbers. He's got some buzz. Again, watching NFL Network last night, Ernest Jones was in Daniel Jeremiah's top 100, I think, maybe somewhere in the 70 to 90 range. Can't quite remember. So he's out there, Shy Smith. It is a guy that's out there um, that has always had sort of a bigger range on him. It's thought that maybe more of a mid-round guy as opposed to a second-rounder, but tested pretty well, put some good stuff on tape. Those are probably the next two. Again, once you get past the first round, becomes a little bit more of a crapshoot, especially the later you get. But those two. And then, you know, day three could be either of those guys still, right, if they don't go tonight. But um, you, you've got Sidarius Hutcherson on the O-line out there, Izzy Mukwamu, who's been sort of polarizing in the sense of it's been tough to project him. Some people think mid-round's the best case, later round, maybe not at all, is even one scenario, which may surprise some people, but that, that has been thrown around. And the guy to watch, Wes, there's a sleeper. I'm not saying he'll go. If I had to, like, gun-to-head type of thing, I'd probably say – priority free agent, but has a chance to sneak in very late as Adam Prentice. Um, draft pool smaller this year, harder to find fullbacks. Prentice is a guy that teams like a good bit. Um, and so not saying he'll go, 
but watch for him very, very late, maybe day three. If not, he's going to have a chance as a, as a uh, free agent. Yeah, and as you pointed out to me, man, um, to reiterate here, the draft pool is much smaller just from a quantity of guys who are available um, than it was last year, I believe, than most of your average drafts. So that that sort of, you know, we, we always try to compare one draft to another as far as where a guy is picked and, and stuff like that. But it's just a little bit different when you start getting to the depth of um, the draft towards the end. So so maybe some surprises. You certainly, uh, for those guys individually, you, you hope there are some surprises and Maybe uh, maybe some guys get drafted that we're not even talking about, not even expecting. Um, let's go. Like I said, we're going to have Colin Taylor joining us a little bit later on, uh, probably in about 10 minutes, to talk about this big Ole Miss baseball series. So let's get into Braden Davis, four-star quarterback, uh, basically South Carolina's priority target at quarterback right now, announcing at 6 p.m. Friday. Uh, that is today as we're recording this on his Instagram Live. So – if you are an IG person, and actually, uh, from what I've seen, you don't even have to be an Instagram person. You don't have to actually have an account on there. You, uh, If you do, it's very easy. Just go to at underscore Braden Davis, all one word. Or um, you can actually just go on your browser, Instagram.com um, slash underscore Braden Davis. And I believe you'll be able to hit his little story there and watch it live as it happens, 6 p.m., um, Chris, obviously a big night for South Carolina if they can get this done, if it happens. Relatively quiet, I feel like, as far as Braden Davis's camp goes. Some some guys, even if they try not to let the word leak out, it, it inevitably happens. Um, right now it is 2.23 p.m. I don't get the sense there's like been a definitive word given out. Sometimes, uh, actually a lot of times, a kid will be like, hey, I'm coming, coach. Um I think it's kind of a cliche at this point, but cautiously optimistic maybe is the vibe I get around the South Carolina program. Um, I mean, is that accurate in, in your mind? I mean, I, I don't think we can sit here and, like, give the fans here the little wink-wink, like, hey, it's right. going to definitely be okay. Um, you know, I think I would lean to South Carolina, but I think we're all kind of at this point waiting to see. Yeah, and I, I'm with you exactly on that and, and the signs pointing that way but no you know firm 100 percent where you can give that wink like you said it and i'll add to that you know the the expectation uh talking to some folks that cover some of the other programs that are on davis's list um he's got a top seven i can't remember all of them off the top of my head but you know georgia tech west virginia stanford on there the expectation there for what it, for what it's worth you know seems to be south carolina as well so um yeah, would, would obviously be a big pickup, somebody that South Carolina, the people in that football office, again, 225 here on a Friday, announcements it later this evening, but sitting around waiting and and hoping and cautiously optimistic, like you said. So, you know, I, I think, Chris, let, let's talk about what this would mean. I, I think, and, and, you know, obviously if, if South Carolina gets the good news, we'll have, we'll have more Later on, we'll probably go into a little bit more depth. And, we, you know, we've talked about Braden quite a bit after he got the offer, after the uh, sort of virtual visit as well. We, we've talked about what his game is, what he would mean. But uh, let, let's sort of reiterate it here. I think first and foremost, um, what, one of your best available targets at quarterback as far as the rankings go, um, he's actually a pro-style quarterback on Rivals.com. I look at him as a pass-first 
kid who can also run it. I, I actually – this is a completely different discussion, probably an off-season discussion. I think pro style and dual threat as categories is outdated and that we need to update that entire idea. But um, point being, he is uh, a top 15 pro style quarterback in the country, according to rivals, technically the number 14 pro style quarterback in the country. He is the highest available pro style quarterback in the 2022 class right now. If you add in the dual threat guys as well, He's basically the number four available overall quarterback. So, um, you know, I, I tend to look at quarterback recruiting like this. Um, if you can get a true just like a Trevor Lawrence, yes, that's, you know, all day. That's worth, you know, that, that's the most valuable thing a college football program could, could get would be a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields type quarterback. For sure. There's what? Two per class. I mean, depending on the year, like that. Those guys. There's not, there's not one per class of those guys, though. Well, of of a, I'm talking about elite difference makers. Elite difference makers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not generational guys. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, future future top five type picks. Um, right. you know, one or two a year. Um, and, and then right. we'll see if they how they how they rank like when you start talking big picture, like in ten years type thing. Yep. Point being, if you can get like an elite difference maker, cool. It, short of that, you've got to bring in a guy each year that has a chance, right? Um, and, and I look at Braden Davis, and you see, you know, six five kid. Um, like you said, can move his feet, has the uh, has the athleticism, has the intangibles. He's a worker. He's a sharp kid. He understands. Um, the mental side of the position. And um, he's in, like I said, he's in that like top 15 range. Rivals has him as a four-star kid. You don't, you don't ever, there's no sure thing when it comes to quarterbacks, but you you have to sign these kids and then um, try to bring them along and try to develop them. And at this point in the process, um, you know, I, I, I think it would be invaluable to get a guy like Braden Davis on board um, because of the upside that is there. Yeah, and he's not going to be um, a guy that comes in and starts as a freshman. Probably not. I mean, that's not ideal for him, not ideal for South Carolina, but that's not what he needs to be if, if they land him. And so um, I, I totally agree with you that you want to sign that generational quarterback. If you can do that and the rest of your program's in pretty good to good shape, like you're probably going to take that next step. So South Carolina at some point probably needs to do that, right? That, that That'd be fantastic. Um, but when you get into that next pool, it's like one, one of my colleagues in the industry mentioned it today when we were sort of talking about Davis, is that you know, he's like, I, I would rather take that kid than take somebody who's 6'1 and whose ceiling is to be a number two or three guy. It's, it's a good point, you know, because is Davis ready to come in and play as a freshman? No. Does he have development that he needs to do for sure. But you look at the physical tools and some of the growth that he's had um, already during his career. He, he sat as a freshman because his high school team had a two-time All-State guy. They weren't going to bench him. Um, and then he he has sort of grown. He's, he's really only played, Wes, one full season. He played his sophomore year in Delaware. He transferred to Florida for his junior season. 
and only played in three games because he got hurt. And so he's very still inexperienced, and he's playing most of his career in Delaware, which I hope Marshawn Lloyd doesn't hear this, but Delaware doesn't have as much talent as like a Florida or a Georgia or something like that. And even even Davis's high school coaches mentioned this when I talked to him. So point being, development to do, yeah. But, man, when you look at physical tools, there's a, a good bit of upside there to where if he develops, you could you could end up hitting a home run. We don't know yet, but, like, the physical tools are there to where he could turn into a really good player. He, he is a prospect for sure in my book. Not a sure thing, um, but th- there's some intriguing stuff here. Yeah, and, and I think, Chris, for every, for every guy we look at in the draft each year and say – that Trevor Lawrence went uh, basically he, – he took like the, the Jadavian Clowney path where he went from like elite recruit to elite college player to number one draft pick. Uh, the Justin Fields who went from, uh, you know, incredibly highly recruited guy to uh, very good in college to high draft pick. For every quarterback that fits that mold, there's a guy who fits the mold that came in as the, quote, uh, cliched – high upside, and then developed. And for every kid like that, there's there's one that came in with the same high upside and didn't develop and and never gets drafted and, never, you know, and transfers, you know. So, yeah. that, and some of them transfer and then develop. So, I mean, quarterback recruiting is as difficult as any. Um, so, it, it's kind of one of those things where you, you just – you have to get enough – you have to bring in guys with the upside in the first place and try to do what you can to develop them. So obviously that's what South Carolina is trying to do here with Braden Davis. We'll all find out a little bit later on. That'll be 6 p.m. Um, our time here, Eastern Time, uh, Instagram Live. And as promised. ¿No se merece tu familia lo mejor? Entonces, ¿por qué no los mejores huevos? Ahora, Egglands Best están disponibles en deliciosas opciones. Huevos clásicos de gallina libre de jaula y orgánicos de Egglands, que ofrecen un sabor más delicioso y fresco de granja, que le encantará a tu familia. En comparación con los huevos ordinarios, Egglands Best contiene la mejor nutrición como 6 veces más vitamina D, 10 veces más vitamina E y el doble de omega 3 y B12. Solo Egglands Best. Mejor sabor. Mejor nutrición, mejores huevos. Visita egglandsbest.com para más información. Uh, again, we're rolling right, right along. We got a ton of stuff to get to. We're going to bring in now Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com, beat writer, baseball beat writer, football beat writer. Today we're talking some baseball. Uh, Colin, broken record alert every single weekend. Premier SEC series for the Gamecocks, big SEC series for the Gamecocks. Um, it, it, ne- it never stops. I mean, it, this has been a grind for these dudes. And once again, we have a conversation where you would say this is a, a very big series for the Gamecocks. And the closer we get to the end, um, maybe the bigger they, they get it at some point. So what can you tell us about this weekend? Yeah, and stop me if you've heard this before, but South Carolina is about to face a guy that's going to be probably picked in the top 10 of this year's uh, MLB draft uh, in Gunner. Fantastic name, all SEC name in Gunner Hogland. Um, who will pitch tonight <laughs> for uh, Ole Miss, but um, a team that hasn't necessarily put it together um, in SEC play. I mean, they're really good. They're 10 and eight, but they've lost four straight series. Uh, the pitching hasn't necessarily from a depth standpoint lived up to the hype, but it's a fantastic offense. Uh, they lead the SEC in all three slash categories, batting average on base percentage and slugging in 
SEC games only. Uh, lead the league in hits, lead the league in runs batted in, led the league coming into this weekend in runs scored. Tennessee surpassed them last night because um, they started their season early. So, And they have six left-handed bats in the lineup against three starters that are right-handers for South Carolina. So um, going to be a fantastic test for South Carolina. Um, South Carolina hung tough with Arkansas for the most part, but – Obviously, couldn't win the series. Arkansas was just – they showed why they're the number one team in the country. And now it's a matter of if you're South Carolina, can you rebound and get what will be a massively good RPI booster if you win the series on the road against an Ole Miss team that's ranked in the top 20 right now. Yeah, Colin, it seems like eventually, as South Carolina works its way through the SEC, they're going to run out of top 10 picks to face, but I guess they still have a few more. So dive in a little bit more to Ole Miss – so I was looking over their schedule. Really weird because just like Arkansas, they played a few Texas schools who are now highly ranked at the beginning of the year, actually beat those guys. But like you said, they've lost several series in a row. Now, some of those, Arkansas, for instance, Mississippi State, really good teams, but actually dropped a series to LSU, um, narrowly avoided getting swept. So tell us about the pitching for Ole Miss. Is this an area that South Carolina could be able to exploit not only, you know, Friday will be tougher, but maybe in the rest of the series as well. Yeah, I think if you're going to exploit the pitching, um, it's going to be the bullpen. You're going to have to go and delve into the Ole Miss bullpen. I mean, they're starting a guy, so Gunnar Hogland, a projected top 10 pick, but um, Doug Nikhazy, I guess that's how you say his name, um, has a 1.81 ERA coming into this. Um, was a Team USA guy, threw a, I want to say a complete game one hitter, if my memory serves correctly, against Mississippi State. So, yeah, it's going to be tough, those two guys, uh, Friday, Saturday. But if you can chase them early and work some pitch counts and get to that bullpen, you have a shot. Um, this is a Ole Miss team with a team ERA over four. Um, they don't walk a lot of guys but give up some hits, and they don't feel necessarily at an elite level. So there's some chances if you're South Carolina to put some pressure on them and try to chase these pitchers early. Cause if you get into the bullpen, there's a good chance that you're going to be able to score some runs. Yeah. And you look at their, their schedule and, and their results, Colin. And uh, you, like you said, you look at their starters ERA and then you look at, Oh, they, this was a 14 to 18 ball game uh, against Arkansas. And it's kind of a disconnect. And, um, but I think you're right without diving into it that that obviously means they're having some issues after the starters, uh, you know, are, are exited from the game. And, you know, I, I thought Arkansas last week um, did a good job of getting the game to their to their couple of studs in the bullpen. This cops kid is, you know, was freaking unhittable. It appeared I saw the little pitching ninja Twitter account where they were showing uh, the little cross section of the way his. Uh, two main pitches um, go opposite directions. And so they, they did a good job, I think, of kind of keeping him fresh enough to then use him for multiple innings. I think you look at Ole Miss and it's like, okay, a lot of these just elite, elite teams in the SEC, they have a guy or two at the end that just shuts you down. Ole Miss, maybe at this point, doesn't quite have that guy, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it, in – I think so. And they have some good arms, but it's just, it hasn't come together for maybe the way that you would have hoped. And if you're going to give the edge, South Carolina's pitching definitely has the edge over Ole Miss 
Ole Miss is pitching, and I'd say Ole Miss's offense has the advantage over South Carolina. So if South Carolina can pitch the way it did against Arkansas um, this past weekend, you feel really, really good about what they can do. Um, they're in a, a series that's going to go a long way for both teams in terms of deciding which teams will get to host uh, come June for this postseason. Colin, while I'm thinking of it, a uh, quick update on, you know, team health, any lineup changes to anticipate, any moves that Mark Kingston may make. Start with uh, with Colin Burgess because obviously there were some questions recently. Mark Kingston, I think, gave an update on, on what to expect from Colin. Yeah, Tum Tum's hurt. Um, got a little bit banged up in, in his uh, – he caught 27 innings in, I guess, 36 hours against Arkansas. You're not going to escape that without a couple bumps and bruises. So he's just a little banged up. It's nothing that's going to keep him out for a long stretch of time, but um, enough to where they might want to rest him a little bit this weekend from a catching standpoint. So if that's the case, he did travel with the team. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Wes Clark caught tonight just to kind of keep Burgess fresh. But um, caught, and if West Clark catches Josiah Seitler, who's dealing with a groin injury, will DH, and they'll move Noah Myers into left field, and you'll see the pretty much the same lineup you saw against the Citadel, where Eister's in the two-hole, and then you have Myers kind of hitting at the bottom of the order in that nine, nine spot as your left fielder. Let, let's give Noah Myers a little bit of love here, Colin. Cool. I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong, when, when they signed him out of JUCO and going into last season – this was a guy that what was going to like lock down center field, um, maybe even be the leadoff hitter, I, I think, or was was going to at least yeah. be a, a big part of what they do. Um, I, I think he started maybe the opener this year, but then just I mean the kid has not played. Um, like he he went from like being firmly in the mix to uh, Seitler comes on and and becomes a guy that has to be in the lineup. He's the odd man out. Comes all right so. Hey, buddy, you're on the road at LSU. We're putting you in late just to put down a bunt, and we bring you off the bench. You get the job done in a key moment. Then you finally get a start. It was midweek. We all know that. But my man hits the first home run of his career for a grand slam. Ended up being way bigger than we knew at the time. Um, I mean, I, I think that I always respect a guy – that hasn't really been a big part of it, what's been going on, gets an opportunity. And um, his last couple opportunities, he, he's made the most of it. Yeah, and I remember before the season started, because you kind of got the sense that Noah Myers wasn't going to be in the starting lineup just consistently at the beginning of the year, the way Brady Allen was playing, the way Brandon Wimmer was playing, and Andrew Eister, obviously. But I, someone told me uh, close to the program, hey, keep an eye out. This Noah Myers kid, he's going to come up big. Uh, at different times during the year. And if you're going to be a good team, you're going to need bench guys like him. Um, and he battled, I think, a wrist injury, a hand injury earlier in the year. Uh, obviously hasn't gotten playing time, but kudos to him because he's been a great clubhouse guy. I know it's a cliche, been a fantastic clubhouse guy um, and just fought through it. And he's earned this opportunity if he starts tonight. Um, gives South Carolina some you know, much needed speed in the outfield. They don't necessarily have that with Brady, Josiah, and Eister as your three outfielders, but gives them some speed. And listen, it's not 
game three of a super regional on Tuesday night against the Citadel, but to hit a grand slam like that is big. And he's shown his ability to execute in big moments. And yeah, when he came in from Juco, I mean, he stole, I want to say he was 77 of 78 on stolen bases before coming to Carolina. So this is a speed guy that um, if he's hitting for contact, he gives you a chance to put some pressure on the defense. Um, if he, if he gets on base, not a big keys making consistent contact and getting on base when you know Myers. Yeah, it's a good point and about the, the just lack of ABs. Going back, looking through the stats, Colin, looks like he's only 15 at-bats this season. You know, so he's 2-15. of There's two hits being a double and the Grand Slam the other night. So, obviously, just needs some more opportunities. Um, turning it back towards the Ole Miss series in particular, th- this is really probably the last question I got for you. Um, you know, you mentioned that this series could help set – sort of the trajectory of things for either of these teams. But does it change – how much does it change for South Carolina just in terms of postseason outlook overall if they could go take two of three or even if they could sweep versus losing two of three or getting swept? Is it that big of a swing given how quality this Ole Miss team is? Yeah, I mean, it would be a massive swing if you could come out take two or three, not just take two or three from Ole Miss, which is a – I think right now number 16 in the RPI, but to do it on the road would probably send you into at least the top seven or eight of the RPI. And that puts you squarely in the hosting conversation with the NCAA set to announce 20 schools after the Mississippi state series. Um, that'll be in contention to host uh, come June. So these next two weekends are pretty vital to make that first cut and, South Carolina, if you can win one of your next two series, um, you feel pretty good about your chances to host. And um, your RPI is going to be good enough to where you'll be able to host. And so this is big for both teams because Ole Miss is fighting for the same thing. And it's going to be – it's two NCAA postseason teams that are both in contention to host. So these are very evenly matched. And, I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun in an atmosphere that's going to have over probably 11,000 people there for most of the games. Colin, obviously there's – there's kind of there's always a trade off when you're when you're building a lineup I think unless and my point being if if let's say tonight a Noah Myers plays um, obviously you're taking maybe a step back defensively at the catcher's position we've seen what what Burgess has done there I think he's been outstanding um, but you are like you mentioned earlier adding some speed to the outfield I think if you're a coaching staff it's always good to have some some options about how you want to play a particular game or series. For the most part, be it for guys not stepping up or some injuries. I mean, I think I guess Joe Satterfield's been like out for a while now with an injury. Um, it's kind of just been the same guys that have played for the most part. I, if we're going to be really nitpicky, I thought a big difference between Arkansas and South Carolina was Arkansas's ability for their outfielders to like go make some some big time plays. Um, South Carolina, um, I this. I distinctly remember like a line drive to right field that wasn't called on their end. Uh, the long fly ball to left field that wasn't caught um, in left center at the wall. Then I remember just Arkansas's left fielder uh, making some great plays out there. So um, if let's say South Carolina has a Noah Myers out there, um, you mentioned a little bit of speed. Does, does that give them a little bit more of an outfield um advantage that that maybe doesn't exist with the other lineup while obviously sacrificing um you know maybe a a little bit at at the plate yeah I think this is 
you're, I think you're two thirds of the way there to your best defensive outfield. Um, I think Noah Myers, Brady Allen, Brandon Fields, and some combinations probably just from an instinctive and speed and arm standpoint is your probably probably your best defensive one. But you'll have Brady and you'll have Noah out there, and you hope that that helps you defensively um, rob some of these extra base hits because Ole Miss likes to hit doubles. They like to get into the gap and, and make some things happen. So, um, yeah, I think if Noah Myers out there, you feel pretty comfortable about your outfield defense, especially le- you know left center. Um, and then left field, left center, and then center field. And I know there's a question about Wes Clark. If he's not able to catch, you're probably looking at Connor Sino as another guy who could catch. Um, my guess is they don't want to get to him just because he's a freshman, a young kid, and that atmosphere is probably insane. And after him is George Khalil is your fourth string, <laughs> your starting shortstop is your fourth string catcher. So um, that's – sit there and pray that Colin Burgess number one is healthy enough to maybe get a game in. Uh, but Wes Clark and, and um, Colin Burgess are your two, your two catches that you feel probably comfortable with the most um, on this team. Wow. I, I had no idea. I, I sort of yeah. want to see, I mean, I'm not wishing anything. On anybody, but I, I kind of want to see Khalil catch. The, the no? Five, four kid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think He's he like, can handle it. Yeah, he can handle yeah. it. I mean, he's got soft hand. Like, you see, just watching him at short, he's got soft enough hands to do it, can receive the ball well. Uh, I would hate to see what he looks like trying to block a ball, given that, like, wiry frame that he has. But uh, it's going to be interesting if they can't get Clark or Burgess to go. But my, my gut says that one of those two will be catching all three games. Chris, you, you done or you got anything else, man? I'm good, man. Um, all right, so final question here, Colin. I uh, what. What are your what are your keys to victory? Keys to this uh, this series? Um, you know, we talked about Thomas Farr quite a bit going into the last series, and he, man, he responded to to anybody that that sort of had some negative things to say about him. He, uh, I thought, stepped up big time last week. So, what, what what's your your big picture key for the Gamecocks uh, this weekend, man? Yeah, it's going to be getting good starting pitching again. Um, you need to be able to get off to some good starts, and Farr gave you that on Friday. Jordan was just okay and will sanders obviously had a you know I, he was good but he was a freshman going up against maybe one of the best offenses in the country you're going to give up some hits and some runs there but getting good starting pitching because your bullpen is so fantastic that you feel pretty good once you get to the later innings in a close game or you know if you have a lead so good starting pitching is key number one and then work good at bats i mean there are times during the season where this offense seems like it, it presses sometimes and you see a lot of quick at bats that aren't necessarily as competitive as they can be. So um, that's something I'd like to see South Carolina do work at bats, work pitch counts and try to get into Ole Miss's bullpen. And then you have a better shot at playing some runs. Cause those first two guys they're throwing at you are going to be um, really, really tough to hit for the most part. Colin gray stuff as always, man, we'll, uh, we'll see the live updates and the analysis there on GamecockCentral.com. Uh, enjoy the weekend, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. And by the way, I looked up the Baseball America Top 10 uh, mock draft. They will face four. As of right now, they have faced, after tonight, will have faced four pitchers in the mock draft in the top 10. Well, did you also happen to look up the uh, scores from the Braves-Cubs series uh, this week? You know, I I did not. I've been busy the last couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) Had to throw that in there. Colin, we appreciate you, man. Have a good one, okay? Take it easy, y'all.
Thanks, man. Colin Taylor, Gamecock Central beat writer, checking in as he does most most every Friday. Um, should be a fun series, that, dude. It's got it's almost old hat though. Like oh, top twenty five matchup, like that. That's got to help as a team though, because there is no added pressure. Like oh, another another top twenty five team on the road, crazy environment. So what? But anyway, so Ole Miss should be fun. Um, that this will actually though, as I say that, probably be the best atmosphere they've played in this year. I think Mississippi's at a hundred percent capacity. Could be wrong on that, but dude, I I actually you may remember this. I had to fill in um, and cover the South Carolina Ole Miss series uh, when Ole Miss was top ten at Ole Miss uh, for Gamecock Central back maybe four years ago or so, five years ago. Dude, those people throw down like it is. It is a party atmosphere, and. Um, in in the outfield, they like they throw their stuff everywhere. Like they throw their drinks. Um, if you're in, dude, if if so, real quick, if you're in the bullpen, apparently, you get just doused with with drinks while you're out there. So, South Carolina was there. That y- y'all may remember this. This was the year. This was Holbrook's last super regional team. So not the first team he had, but the the year before everything went bad and, you know, they made the change. They went in there. I think this was week one, a SEC um, play, and they swept Ole Miss. And uh, so South Carolina won game one, South Carolina won game two, South Carolina won game three, um, into the ninth inning of game three. And South Carolina is about to finish off the sweep. And the bullpen dudes, I'm sure, have had stuff thrown on them all game long. Beer, I'm sure, probably getting called every name in the book. And I think my brain didn't, like, create this out of thin air. I hope this really happened. But I swear, I'm looking out in the outfield, and all the guys still in the bullpen, as soon as out number three is made and South Carolina has completed the sweep, they all take all of their drinks and just go and throw them up into the stands over all the Ole Miss guys who had been talking crap to them all weekend and then run back into the dugout to, to get on the bus and leave, basically. So it was kind of like a peace out, we're out, take some of your own medicine. But honestly, one of, like, one of the coolest atmospheres in baseball. So if you're – you know, I think it's on SEC Network plus two of the games. I think the Saturday game is on SEC Network itself. So um, check it out. Should be a fun atmosphere. Should be another good game, and uh, Kyle and Taylor will have all the coverage right there on GamecockCentral.com. As we hit our final topic for the show, I think we've hit everything we talked about. We have to talk about a something we, we didn't know this was coming today. It comes, I guess, in the form of a bit of a surprise. But, South dude, Don Staley has entered the Nick Saban realm of recruiting because – this, put it. <laughs> this this is this is not y'all this is not just you need to sign some difference makers this is not just well you got to sign some difference makers and some depth this is i went to the final four i still brought in the number one recruiting class in the country coming in and by the way if there was any doubt 
I'm going to go out and get what um, the Athletic actually called the best available transfer in the transfer portal. So South Carolina lands today not just a commitment, but a signing of Camila Cardosa. Amazing name, by the way. Awesome yes. sports name. Six foot seven. Now the tallest player in South Carolina women's basketball history. And by the way, first team all SEC, ACC freshman of the year, ACC co-defensive player of the year, averaged 13.6 points, eight rebounds, and 2.7 blocks this past season as a true freshman. Guess what? This past season did not count against anyone's eligibility. She has four years of eligibility left. Guess what? She's eligible to play right away. So you bring in an instant starter to a team that has it, – it's literally a Final Four. I was about to say a Final Four caliber team. No, it is literally a Final Four team. Everybody came back. So you have 10-plus McDonald's All-Americans on this team. And um, it, it's you, – you knew Don Staley was going to recruit, but this is a completely – other level Chris yeah it's almost a little silly I mean her her like ratio of like high level like five star or top 10 or McDonald's All-Americans like you said is just absurd and so to return all 11 from that team um even you know even people were wondering oh, well will Lily Grissett come back well she even came back so you've got all them that would be good enough if you had that team and you brought in like a decent recruiting class, or heck, even if you didn't sign anybody at all, you go, well, man, that's a good team. Watch out for that team for the Final Four. But then, like you said, number one recruiting class in the country, which includes, let me run through it real quick, uh, the 2021 class, uh, Raven Johnson, who's ESPNW's number two uh, overall prospect, number two through four, Raven Johnson, Saniya Rivers, Sanaya Fegan, all all signed with the Gamecocks for the 2021 class. And then they reached all the way down to the number 14 player in the class uh, with uh, Bree Hall. And then they add this girl. So, yeah, a really great pickup. Um, Rich get richer with that. I saw Cardozo off. She obviously did some great things in year one. But in high school, I think she averaged like 10 blocks a game in high school, which would have been completely unfair for anybody to play against someone with her size and skill set. But, yeah, they're recruiting off the charts for Dawn Staley. Well, let's – I want to dive in for just a second, Chris, into how this has sort of maybe changed over the years. Because I, I remember – so, all right, Dawn, Dawn Staley gets the job, right? Yeah. And she automatically, because she's Dawn Staley, she's able to um, to land some some difference makers, right? You know, you have you have your Tiffany Mitchells. You have you have your girls that are I mean, she was SEC player of the year multiple times, I think. So no, it's it's like no offense to them. I'm not trying to say any of these these girls were really good players, right? And then, you know, she had, she had, she gets Kelsey Ball and everybody's like, Whoa, that's like a national level player. But much like we're talking about, like with Carolina football, you have to you have to get multiple of these difference makers. And obviously, you get Asia Wilson, and she is the best player in the country when you sign her. And 
I even remember feeling like, okay, they, they have Asia Wilson. They have some really good, solid um, players around her. You get a couple of transfers. Um, you know, Alicia Gray come in. You know, you win the national title. And there was actually on paper, uh, you know, there was a little dip after that. And you sort of say, well, well does the re- is the recruiting able to continue at the level or take a step up from when you got Asia Wilson? Or is it one of those things where – you landed Asia Wilson, who was a local product, mm-hmm. and you're still never going to be able to get the UConn level classes as far as the depth goes. And then you sign this difference-making class that comes in, right, with several of the top ten girls. Well, I have always heard at earlier points in Don Staley's time at South Carolina that Chris, she never carried you can carry 15 scholarship players. Don Staley hasn't done that in the past, from what I understand. The reasoning was always that you can only play so many people at one time and you can only rotate so many people in. So Don Staley did not want to sort of have some of these chemistry issues that you may have by having a bunch of players sit who have played and been the star player their entire life. Mm-hmm. It appears to me, and this is without me knowing a thing about what Don Staley is actually thinking, but it appears to me that it has shifted from, okay, we're going to now sign. I, I think Don Staley is comfortable enough in the culture of her program that she has now instilled that, if you if the number one player in the ACC wants to transfer in and be the final piece to getting over that hump in the Final Four, then we're going to go do it. If the uh, if you want to sign the number one class in America this past year on top of a number one class from two years prior, you're going to do that. And I think if I think, you know, I mentioned Nick Saban. It is to an Alabama level of when these girls come in, nothing is promised. You're not promised to be a starter. And you kind of get to the point where if, if you're a good enough program, some people would rather wait to play or even be the third or fourth or fifth option and compete for the big trophy as opposed to going and being the top option and not having a real chance to beat a South Carolina, a UConn, a Stanford, an Arizona now, you know, the elite of the elite. So uh, we've seen it change as far as getting some, some elite players. But now I think this is even deeper than that, Chris. Like your entire program and how it's built has changed because – it's you're not just getting a couple of elite players. You are stacking elite players. And somebody on Twitter, Don Staley actually responded to this, said they would like to see a Garnet versus Black exhibition game. That's a fantastic idea. There would be there would be as much talent on the court for South Carolina's ones versus twos, not even ones versus twos. If you just split the team up and did a draft, an internal draft, um, that game would be as entertaining as a lot of games that happen during the regular season. You could probably charge for it and actually make it a moneymaker, maybe even give it to – donate it to charity or something. But I I wouldn't be surprised, Chris, 
if we see that in the future. Yeah, I mean, something like uh, what does Kentucky do, the the big blue, whatever it is, midnight madness type of thing. I mean, you could see that here for, for women's basketball. That's how big it's become. But it's a great point on sort of the culture. The two things I would hit on to, to piggyback off what you're saying is somebody asked me the other day, and they were applying it to football about, hey, now that the transfer port, now you've got this, this one-year free transfer exception, football transfer portal, basketball sort of out of control. What do you think? And and my answer was, look, guys are going to transfer for various reasons. Always have, always will. Is there more of an impetus to do it now? In some situations, yes. But if you're, if you have a great culture within your program and if you're winning and, and if you're fair to your players, then they are going to want to stick around more because They'll get their chance. They see what you're doing with development. They see the culture. They're winning. They're having a good time. So does that mean they're never going to lose a player to transfer? Probably not because there's a lot of various reasons, but they'll be able to keep things more intact, you know, with that culture they've set. And your point about, you know, the the recruiting taking off after Asia is another good one because, look, you you look like back in the 2018 class, I, I think that's a good example of that class onward the brand has extended nationally, right? So you get you get Destiny Henderson from Florida, Victoria Saxon from Georgia, and then you go in 2019, and that's the one that really – I mean, Zaya Cook from Ohio, uh, Leticia Amihir from Canada, you get Bree Beal from Illinois, Aaliyah Boston from Massachusetts. And then you look at, at this class, you know, a little bit more regional, you got – two prospects from Georgia, one from North Carolina, one from Ohio. But Dawn is able to, obviously, any kid from South Carolina that she wants, she's going to be a major factor with around the Southeast. But she can go to Illinois, Ohio, Canada, anywhere, really. And because of the brand that she's built and the winning tradition now that she's established, be a factor for those. So it's really impressive how the program's been built. By the way, shout out, as always, to our boy Gamecock Russ, putting it as only he can, millionaires become billionaires here with South Carolina. I, I love that as a program. They got they got to a point that few people ever get, but now they're taking that that next step. And uh, really fun to watch. And Dawn Staley, I truly believe, has surpassed everyone else and is the best in the business. And I believe multiple – she's got the one national title, more national titles to come for South Carolina women's basketball. All right, so we're we're over time. We're over our time limit. That's okay. We had plenty to get to. Um, should be an interesting weekend at South Carolina. Again, we'll, we'll have coverage of the draft throughout the weekend. We'll have coverage of South Carolina baseball, and we'll have coverage 6 p.m. That's about three hours from now. Braden Davis, South Carolina's quarterback target, will be announcing his decision. We'll see if it's the Gamecocks. And if it is, we'll, of course, have complete coverage of that with more breakdowns about what he's all about, how he fits in, maybe some stuff from his high school coach, and uh, plenty more on GamecockCentral.com. For Chris, I'm Wes. Appreciate everybody for joining us. Uh, You'll have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.